Hello, my name is Sahil Shah, and I'm a policy fellow at the European Leadership Network. I'd like to welcome the journalists, experts, and officials present at today's briefing, as well as four of the most distinguished experts on proliferation and disarmament issues who will be briefing us today. We're very lucky that each of them have agreed to participate on today's call on such a short notice to help better socially and politically articulate what is happening not only between the United States and the Russian Federation, but also reflections from Europe and the wider international community on what it means for global security. Before I introduce the speakers, a few comments on the procedure for asking questions. As everyone is joining us telephonically, which I hope is a nice retreat from the saturation of Zoom calls lately, um, you may join the question queue by pressing star two at any time. I'll try to get to as many questions as possible in the hour we have today. So please feel genuinely welcome to ask a question regardless of whether you are a journalist or not. The primary objective of this call is to generate a conversation with an accompanying recording and transcript that unpacks the current status of US-Russian negotiations over the extension of the new Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty. Commonly known as New START, the treaty is set to expire on the 5th of February of next year unless both the U.S. and Russia agree to extend it up to a period of five years as envisioned under the treaty. I should also note that the treaty does not explicitly forbid multiple extensions, which is something that we can discuss further on this call. At present, the key questions are whether or not Presidents Trump and Putin have enough time to close the deal on the widely reported warhead freeze, upon which terms this freeze would need to be verified to have meaningful value, and if a one-year extension for freeze timeline makes most sense, if a wider framework that is mutually acceptable to both parties can be envisioned, and what the impending U.S. election will mean for this process in the event of either outcome. In addition, and as noted by over 75 European parliamentarians in a letter sent by the European Leadership Network to congressional officials in Washington last week, New START holds immense value to Europeans and the wider international community. The speakers will also reflect on the importance of this treaty in that context and what extension could be used between the U.S., Russia, other P5 nuclear countries, and more to achieve, especially ahead of the long-awaited 10th Review Conference of the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty, or NPT, which is likely to be held early next summer. Without further ado, I would like to introduce our first speaker, my friend and colleague, Alexandra Bell. Alex is the Senior Policy Director at the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation in Washington. Previously, she served as a Senior Advisor in the Office of the Undersecretary of State for Arms Control and International Security at the Department of State. She's also an alumna of the ELN's Younger Generation Leadership Network. Um, Alex, over to you. Thanks so much for having me and to ELN for putting on this event. Um, I have this somewhat dubious honor of going first and thus having to take the first stab at making sense of what's happening with New START right now. Uh, first and foremost, I want to note that the treaty will expire on February 5th, 2021, if it is not extended. Uh, for almost 10 years, New START has been providing predictability and stability between the U.S. and Russia at an otherwise difficult point in our relationship. If we lose New START, we would lose that stability. There would be no legally binding constraints on the world's two largest nuclear arsenal for the first time in about 50 years. There will be no guardrail against the resumption of a possibly costly and certainly dangerous arms race. Uh, so where are we now? It seems 
that the Russians have offered uh, the United States uh, a one-year extension of New START and a political commitment to freeze the number of warheads held by each side for one year. Uh, both countries have shifted position over time to get to this possible current political uh, agreement and extension of New START. And this does seem like welcome news, uh, particularly given the Trump administration's habit uh, of abandoning nuclear agreements. But uh, a freeze on all warheads would be a good step forward in U.S.-Russian arms control, uh, as would any extension of New START. The devil, however, is really going to be in the details here. We still need to define the parameters of the freeze how it will be verified. We also need to define what a warhead is, something we've never actually done, despite you know, half a century's worth of arms control discussions between Washington and Moscow. Uh, my former boss, Rose Gottemuller, who was actually the lead U.S. negotiator on New START, um, used to say about these kinds of negotiations, nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed to. And that's the real danger of tying a freeze to the extension of New START. Uh, as I said, a, a freeze is going to involve a lot of details that have yet to be worked out. That's going to take time, focus, discipline, all things that are in short supply uh, under this administration, unfortunately, and certainly in the lead up uh, to an election. Um, the irony of all of this is that Trump officials have spent the last four years saying they had all the time in the world to deal with a, a possible extension of New START or a, a follow-on agreement. Now they seem to really be scrambling to create a win in advance of the election. Uh, looking back, it, it seems like the Trump administration was gambling that the Russians wanted the extension of New START more, and by running down the clock, the U.S. could potentially get a better deal. That might work in real estate, uh, but it's honestly diplomatic malpractice bordering on recklessness to gamble with the last binding U.S.-Russian arms control agreement. My advice to the administration uh, is to extend New START today. It can be done through a diplomatic exchange of notes between Washington and Moscow. Um, take the win. Uh, Vice President Biden, for his part, has already said if elected, he would extend the agreement no matter who uh, extends the treaty, and I hope uh, one of them does. Uh, they should do it for the maximum amount of time available, uh, which is five years. And that would create uh, enough time to really work on the new agreements and, and compromises that we've been talking about that would pull in more systems and possibly even involve more countries. Uh, I'll stop there and look forward to your questions. Thank you so much for that overview, Alex. I'm now going to turn the floor to Elena Chernenko. Um, I'm pleased to bring in the Russian perspective from Moscow. Uh, Elena is a special correspondent at the Commerçant Daily Newspaper there, where she focuses on issues of cybersecurity, nonproliferation, and arms control. She recently conducted interviews with the leading U.S., Russian, and Chinese nuclear negotiator, Ambassador Marshall Billingsley, Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov, and Ambassador Fu Kong, respectively. And she is a member of the Presidium of the Council on Foreign and Defense Policy, the Council of the uh, Peer Center in Moscow, as well as a part of the ELN contact group on West-Russia relations. So, Elena, thank you for joining us, and the floor is now yours. Thank you very much, Sahil. Thank you very much for the invitation to take part in this call. As a speaker, um, as a journalist, I'm actually used to be on the other side of the call, listening and asking questions, so uh, I'm a bit nervous now. 
But um, let me say that I'm representing my personal view, not that of my paper, not that of Commerçant. But uh, as you said, I had the big honor to have interviewed the um, two main negotiators on this topic from Russia and from the U.S., and also the uh, leading uh, representative for arms control from the Chinese side. And I am very thankful that all of them agreed to actually talk extensively and deeply um, in, onto those issues, because I'm convinced that they are of a global importance for everybody. So, security and openness in this uh, sphere is crucial uh, and is very welcome. So um, as for the things that I wanted to say in the opening remarks, I envisage some interest in the recent U-turn, as you might call it, that uh, Russia took uh, last Tuesday when it all of a sudden announced that it was ready uh, to talk about a political obligation on a freeze of warheads that Alexandra already mentioned. So why is it a U-turn? Um, before we had clearly seen that um, any discussions on a freeze of warhead n um, numbers was tied to several conditions from the Russian side. One of the main conditions was um, that Russia wanted to talk not only about warheads, but also uh, about launchers and delivery vehicles, uh, which it thought uh, very important to be included in any discussions uh, with the U.S. on arms control um, and on uh, possible freezes. Another uh, condition that Russia was uh, stating uh, to be tied to a possible freeze was that it wanted also its other concerns, its concerns uh, to be addressed, um, for example, in the area of missile defense, of the weaponization of space, of uh, new conventional weapons of strategic nature, and some other issues as well. So we have seen several statements from Russian high-ranking officials where they were saying that uh, without these two points at least, and some others as well, any discussions about a possible freeze uh, would be uh, non-acceptable. We had seen such statements even very close to last Tuesday when all of a sudden it turned out that Russia is ready to discuss a freeze. So um, what do we know why that happened? Um, there isn't much information out there, and trying to kind of get into this topic, uh, there isn't much that I can add I, uh, either. Um, but I can say that as far as we understand, and we wrote about it in Commerçant, this was a decision not taken by the um, negotiating team in the Russian MFA, and this decision was taken in the Kremlin. Um, so there, the... the MFA published a statement on their website, but it was not taking that decision, uh, which doesn't um, ne necessarily mean that it is against it, but just to add some, um, some details to that. Um, and uh, the second thing that we know that this is already the second actual concession that um, Russia was ready to make, to make because uh, starting from about one year ago when Vladimir Putin for the first time said that uh, Russia is um, opting for a full five-year extension without any precondition, uh, already then uh, Russian diplomats were saying that they were ready kind of a discuss a shorter-term extension, but then uh, in the uh, a few days um, uh, last week, Vladimir Putin came out and, and him personally said that, yes, they are ready for one year, too. Uh, so this, the first concession is on the, on the term of the prolongment, and the second one is now on the freeze. Now, uh, why, what is the reasoning behind that idea that Russia is ready to discuss a freeze? Um, I must admit that I do not 
have that information. So I can only guess, and uh, my guess might be too optimistic because, of course, I have seen um, versions uh, in the U.S. press and, and other uh, places where they would say that this is a gift from uh, the Kremlin to the current uh, administration in the White House to boost uh, Donald Trump's rating with another foreign policy win. I do not tend at all to think that this is a gift to the Trump administration. I hope, uh, and I tend to think it, I hope that this is a uh, sign that Russia is really wanting to behave like the adult in the room, to almost bend over from its initial negotiating position and do uh, crucial uh, concessions to have this treaty go on, to have it not disappeared on the 5th of February and give uh, the negotiators uh, more time to deal with the other issues that are out there and that could constitute a, uh, a follow-up to the New START Treaty. So my guess, my hope is that this is a sign of a responsible behavior and really like kind of a positive signal that Russia is not desperate to prolong the treaty, as uh, Marshall Billingsley several times said, I would not use that term, but that it really behaves responsibly and wants this treaty to live on. Thank you so much, Elena, for the perspective from Moscow. Um, I'm now going to, before I turn to the next speaker, I just want to remind everyone that if you would like to queue for asking a question, please press star two. Again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star two. Now that we've heard from both Washington and Moscow, I'm very pleased to welcome Ambassador Marjolin Van Dielen. Ambassador Van Dielen was appointed as the European Union's Special Envoy for Nonproliferation and Disarmament and began in that position last month. Until recently, she headed the Nonproliferation, Disarmament and Nuclear Affairs Division of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Netherlands, where her responsibilities included all WMD-related Dutch foreign policy. Last year, she was also appointed Dutch Ambassador for the Nonproliferation Treaty. She is also designated Vice President of the next NPT Review Conference chairing the main committee on peaceful uses of nuclear energy. Uh, Ambassador Van Duelen, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Sahil, and thanks for that introduction. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, first of all, a big thank you to ELM for organizing this very timely call, and thank you very much for inviting me to present the EU perspective, because that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and with that, I also want to express appreciation for the work that ELN did on the parliamentarian appeal on, the, on New START. Um, of course, like others, we are following very closely the developments in the discussions on arms control between the US and Russia. And we can only encourage them to reach an agreement. We also encourage them to keep having these talks and to build further confidence. After all, dialogue is crucial for maintaining stability and predictability in international security relations. As, as you know, the EU has consistently and strongly called for the extension of New START and the negotiation of new arms control agreements that are broader in scope. Most recently on Tuesday, High Representative Borrell repeated that call in the European Parliament. We are encouraging further reductions in the nuclear arsenals of the two nuclear weapon states that hold the largest arsenals, the US and Russia, and these would need to include strategic and non-strategic nuclear weapons, as well as deployed and non-deployed nuclear weapons. So why is it so important to the EU? 
I'll mention a few of the, the most important reasons. First of all, as Alex also said, New START is the last remaining treaty that puts limits to the arsenals of the two largest nuclear weapon states. And if the parties allow it to expire, we would have none, and the arms control architecture would practically cease to exist. Furthermore, with the expiration of New START, we would no longer have limitations on strategic nuclear weapon systems. And without these limitations, we risk further instability in this already unstable world, as well as increased nuclear competition. And that would affect the security of all. In addition, the extensive verification mechanism under New START is a confidence-building and transparency measure in itself that we would not want to lose. The thousands of notifications and the pre-pandemic on-site visits have been very important for transparency and confidence building. And then, of course, very important, the relationship with the Non-Proliferation Treaty, the NPT. For the EU, that treaty is the international cornerstone for non-proliferation and disarmament. And the nuclear weapon states have the obligation under Article 6 of the NPT to work towards nuclear disarmament. New START is a very good step in that direction. If it were to expire with nothing to replace it, that will be a step in the wrong direction. So these are the most important reasons for the EU to call for the extension of New START. But what else? You've heard the EU speak up when the INF Treaty ceased to exist. Uh, one of the reasons was the range of the missiles that were constrained under the INF was directly relevant to Europe, given our geographical location. Arms control agreements are concrete security tools, and that's why we keep calling for a broader follow-on agreement that will need to include, among other things, these non-strategic nuclear weapons um, that are relevant to us geographically. And so we will very much welcome any leadership from the US and Russia in that direction. However, negotiating such a follow-on treaty uh, will take time. It will need very serious verification measures, and that those will have challenges that still need to be resolved. And this time we don't have if New START is allowed to expire. But even with New START in place, time is precious. And from the side of the EU, I'd like to therefore um, uh, want to encourage once again the immediate start of broad arms control negotiations and to pursue further discussions on confidence building, transparency, verification, and reporting of activities, especially between the US and Russia. But will we be happy with a one-year extension of New START? Definitely. It's an important step in the right direction. So we will continue to closely follow developments um, as they unfold and encourage parties to reach a solution uh, or an agreement soon. So these will be my, uh, my initial remarks, uh, Sahil, and I very much look forward to the discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ambassador Van Dielen. Excellent. Um, I'm now going to introduce our final speaker, um, Gokar Mukatsanova, who is the director of the International Organizations and Nonproliferation Program at the James Martin Center for Nonproliferation Studies, commonly known as CNS. Gokar is a renowned expert in international nonproliferation and disarmament organizations, regimes, and negotiations. 
um, who has advised a number of countries and international organizations on related issues. She's currently based at the Vienna Center for Disarmament and Nonproliferation, VCDNP. Gokar, over to you. Thank you very much, Sahil, and thank you to the European Leadership Network for organizing this call and inviting me to to participate. Uh, the, the, the first three speakers have, have covered uh, a lot of ground, and uh, I'll try to add something to it. But um, as, been, uh, as has been mentioned, New START is an important agreement. Uh, however, it was always meant to be a kind of a placeholder treaty to ensure predictability and stability uh, between the United States and Russia as they move on to the negotiations of the next arms control treaty. However, the dialogue on next steps uh, in arms control has stagnated, uh, at least since 2014, and we are now in a situation where a new start is the last standing U.S.-Russian arms control agreement, which makes it particularly important that it be preserved. Um, and um, in the United States, uh, in, the, in the recent uh, months or uh, years, put forth conditions that I would describe as impossible on, on the new start extension, which included the requirement that, for example, China should somehow join in, in the negotiations in the arms control. Uh, but it seems to have dropped at least some of these preconditions lately, which, which is good news. Uh, Russia, as Yelena has mentioned, has always favored a clean one-time five-year extension without uh, any additional preconditions. But as time is running out very fast, we are also seeing Russia indicating that they would um, that they will they would consider some of these conditions, such as uh, going to one-year extension rather than five years, and even consider uh, a warhead freeze. It is therefore a very significant development. Uh, an estimated 45% of Russia's nuclear arsenal is tactical nuclear weapons that are not uh, covered by New START or any other agreement. Uh, so it's, it's, it's important that Russia is willing to make, to make that step. Uh, that said, we do need to read the Russian statement uh, very carefully. They refer to warhead freeze as politically binding and they don't mention any verification. Uh, and the statement further emphasizes that uh, the time, the one-year extension, should be used for comprehensive negotiations uh, that must cover all issues relevant for strategic stability, which from Russia's perspective would include uh, issues such as ballistic missile defense, long-range conventional systems, and possibly U.S. nuclear weapons deployed in Europe. The United States, for its part, in recent past has uh, refused to include any of these issues in arms control negotiations. So uh, a big question is why, why is Russia making these concessions? On the one hand, I think they do genuinely value the treaty and do want its extension, uh, but not at all costs. And they've, they've made that uh, abundantly clear. Uh, what is happening now, I think, is, is, uh, is they're hedging their bets. Uh, the, Kremlin, the Kremlin might have made an assessment that President Trump is more likely to lose the upcoming uh, presidential election. And so rather than... Uh, having the two sides scramble for the extension within two weeks uh, of, of inauguration of the next president, I think Russia may want to agree to some conditions so as to secure a limited extension of the treaty now, uh, to have the necessary time and space to negotiate on substance with the next administration from, from the very beginning. They might also be counting that it would be easier to secure another extension if necessary with the next administration. Uh, this. Um, this, I think, is a, is a fairly logical approach, but the, it, it is somewhat risky for Russia as well, because uh, by agreeing to uh, to consider the to, to by agreeing to a politically binding at least nuclear uh, nuclear warheads freeze right now, they might be locking themselves into including this this issue in any any future negotiations. 
Um, at the same time, the United States insisting that uh, the warhead freeze be verifiable and, and couching it in terms of a verifiable agreement uh, is, not, is not very helpful. I'd be very surprised if Russia agrees to even uh, consider verification at this stage, and I'd be even more surprised if the two sides are actually able to, to work out verification provisions. Uh, as uh, Alex Bell mentioned, we've never counted warheads. We don't, we don't have a definition of warhead even agreed between, between the two sides. These issues are, at the end of the day, technical and solvable, uh, but they do require a lot of time. And that's one thing that we definitely don't, don't have at this stage. So it would be really preferable if the U.S. does take yes for an answer at this stage and, and agree to an, to an extension. Uh, it, it seems in the past two days that the, the two sides continue, continue talking past each other. It's not helpful that one of them is trying to use sort of the official channels and, and ministry statements and, and the other is communicating through press conferences and, and, and Twitter. I think they really need to, uh, to have another meeting to, to hammer out these, uh, these disagreements. Um, to the subject of the importance of a new start extension, the, the, the repercussions of the treaty not being extended are, are extremely negative. It would be destabilizing. Uh, for the first time in decades, we won't have any arms control agreements between the United States and Russia who hold the overwhelming majority of nuclear weapons in the world. Uh, so no more limitations on any kind of nuclear weapons. We won't have any verification in place. We won't have any uh, obligation to report on, uh, on the arsenals, uh, strategic or otherwise. So it will be uh, reduced to no transparency. Um, and, and we'll find ourselves in a situation where 50 years after the entry into force of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, uh, we not only don't see a concerted effort toward nuclear disarmament, but there could be a return to full-on nuclear arms race. So in addition to the qualitative improvements of nuclear arsenals that we've seen in, in the past decade at least, uh, we would also uh, be facing possibility of quantitative build-up. And that would be damaging to international security and that would be damaging to the non-proliferation regime because the erosion of trust in the regime is already severe and, and the fall of the last uh, nuclear arms, arms, arms treaty, nuclear arms control treaty, uh, without any follow-on agreement, without substantive dialogue, uh, would, would further do, bring home the message to non-nuclear states that, that there really is no um, serious commitment on the part of the, the two largest nuclear weapon states uh, to pursue nuclear disarmament and arms control. So, um, if, if nuclear weapon states, especially as in Russia, are of a mind to celebrate 50 years of the non-proliferation regime, uh, they really ought to, at the very least, consider uh, to, at, the, at the very least, extend New Start agreement. Thank you, Sahil. I'll stop here. Excellent. Thank you, Gokar. Yes, I on a personal note personal note, agree that at the NPT's 50th birthday party, if the U.S. and Russia show up empty-handed in terms of a new start, uh, that, won't, that won't bode well for the party going uh, nicely. So um, without, without spending too much time on my reflections, I just want to now pass it on to those who have asked a question. So um, again, if everybody would like to um, just press star two, if you'd like to ask a question, that would be wonderful. First, I'm going to call upon Dave Lawler of Axios. Um, Dave, I have now unmuted your microphone. Uh, thank you so much, and thanks to all of you for, for your insightful comments uh, already. Uh, one just general question for whoever wants to take it, I guess, uh, is 
does it matter if we have a nuclear warhead freeze without verification? You know, what what's the significance, uh, you know, if, if there's no way of, of verifying or if we don't even have a shared definition of, of what that would mean? Um, and then a second question specifically for Elena. Um, you know, we've had this messaging from, from Billingsley, uh, basically, that there's a disconnect between the Kremlin and uh, the negotiators on, uh, you know, exactly what has been agreed to or what can be agreed to. You mentioned that this, these concessions seem to be coming from the Kremlin and not from the negotiating team. I guess I, I was curious if you could maybe expand on that dynamic. Is there anything to, um, you know, what the U.S. side has been saying, that they're making more progress, you know, Trump and Putin speaking directly or O'Brien and, and Patrushev uh, as opposed to the negotiations, which seem... Uh, to not have progressed particularly well when Billingsley uh, gets in the room with uh, Ryabkov. Thanks. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Um, Alex, I'm going to turn to you first and then um, to Elena, Ambassador Van Dielen, and then Gokar to respond to uh, the two questions posed by Dave. Alex? Uh, great. Yep, uh, great uh, and, and great questions. Um, on, the, on the issue of, of whether... Uh, you know, we would need verification, of, you know, generally always yes. If you're doing transparency and confidence building measures, it's not as important. But when it, when it comes to something uh, like a warhead freeze, you know, what's the point if you have no way to, to verify or monitor it? Why would either side be inclined, um, you know, to do the work of being fully transparent? Uh, you know, what's funny about this is is Republicans are usually – entirely insistent on the idea, uh, at least when Democrats are negotiating agreements, that they be effectively verifiable. Um, you know, <laughs> that was not the case for the Bush administration's uh, deal with the Russians, the, the SORT treaty, uh, which relied on the START treaty's verification system uh, for monitoring. Uh, but without verification, what, what you would effectively have here uh, is another Singapore summit declaration. Uh, where you might have a, you know, a signing ceremony and some handshaking and some photographs and a piece of paper that doesn't really amount to anything. Uh, you know, I, I think a freeze is a, is a terrific idea if we can get our arms around what exactly that means. And like I said, that's going to take time. Um, you know, so just separate it from new start extension. Give yourself, you know, the time and the space to maneuver and, and figure out how you would go up about verifying uh, a nuclear warhead freeze. Uh, on the matter of um, who's in the room and how does it matter, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, what what the presidents say of each particular country is, uh, at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones who are going to actually sign an agreement uh, on behalf of their countries. Uh, but that's really the problem with, uh, you know, years ago, President Trump saying in the context of North Korea that he was the only one that mattered, uh, that what diplomats were doing uh, wasn't as important. Right then and there, he disempowered the experts that he has at the State Department that know how to go and work out and hammer out the details uh, of complicated nuclear arms control and nonproliferation agreements. Uh, you know, he and Putin may be the ones that, that sign off, but it's, it's the technical experts, the lawyers, the diplomats who have to have, uh, you, know, the, you know, the direction from the top to go get these deals. And, and you know, that's why, that's why it's important for folks like Billingsley on down uh, to be looped into whatever is happening. And, you know, the, the deal won't actually get done if you don't empower the, the technocrats. 
Excellent. Thank you, Alex. Elena? Uh, thank you very much for that question. Um, I will. I will the questions. I will take up um, the second one first um, on the Kremlin versus the MFA. Yes, uh, def definitely. The um, U.S. negotiators have been highlighting publicly um, these uh, nuanced differences in the approaches between the presidential administration here in Moscow and the, uh, the diplomats. But I think they were making more out of it than there really is, because it is absolutely normal to have different approaches on such crucial matters and there is a security council for that in Russia just like in the US where all of the relevant governmental institutions get their say. Uh, of course it is in the end a consolidated decision that everybody has to implement even if in the beginning they had um, different uh, points of view and different proposals but whatever decision um, is being tra uh, taken uh, by the president and by security council it has to be implemented also by the MFA, and it is no uh, no wonder, no coincidence that this decision that um, on this uh, proposal on the freeze um, that is um, kind of contradicting what uh, the ne diplomatic negotiators have been saying before, that it is published on the MFA website. That is a clear sign to say it's uh, it's not about differences. It is not about what was said before. This is now the official Russian proposal and Russian point of view. And um, uh, it will be implemented by all government branches. But, of course, um, this, uh, these um, uh, um, arguments that have been out there before, they don't go away. And experts were uh, here in Russia clearly um, also surprised by this kind of a correction of the position, by the change of the position, because they see um, several possible minuses and um, possible uh, traps for Russia uh, in such a possible freeze. And one of them, the main one, ha actually has to do with uh, what you were asking in the first question was verification, because if this is a political obligation on a mutual warhead freeze without any verification measures, then uh, who gives the guarantee then the next day that this such an obligation is agreed and signed upon by the president that the U.S. does not come out and not say that Russia is violating it? Um, and then oh, we don't know what will happen. Uh, we have seen in the recent years that everything that's uh, Russia being criticized for then comes followed with sanctions. So um, I could bet that this is going to happen. Somebody in Congress just the next day or the next week is going to say, well, we, we know Russia is violating. Let's introduce some more sanctions. This is just one of the the uh, thoughts that is here discussed why not everybody is happy about this your turn. Another one has to do with a possible Biden administration coming in and then uh, this um, agreement on a one-year extension and on a freeze being taken uh, but also by that um, administration as the basis for negotiation, negotiations with Russia rather than talking about five years without preconditions. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. Ambassador Van Dielen? Um, yeah, on, on that first question of verification, uh, of course, as Alex said, verification is very important. And if I'm not mistaken, both sides uh, agree on that. Um, and especially in the current environment, verification is, is, uh, is important for an agreement to be meaningful. But then again, I, I do want to distinguish between legally binding agreements, so a treaty, which would need, very much need a need thorough verification, uh, versus a political agreement, 
which could be more of a pledge and which would take place in a broader context uh, in which purification could be defined a bit more loosely. So just to add that point to the remarks that were already made. Excellent. Thank you. And Gokar? Yes, thank you. Also on the first question. I think uh, the warhead freeze could have uh, significance as a political commitment. And in the past, some important arms control measures and reductions did come without verification, uh, such as the presidential nuclear initiatives back in the 1990s. So such measures without verification can have their value, uh, but in the context where there is uh, sufficient trust and assumption of, of good faith on both sides. Uh, and sadly, in the current context, that, that is sadly not the case. Uh, and in some sense, it makes one wonder if, if the insistence on, on warhead freeze and verification at a time when uh, we clearly just don't have the time to, to um, figure out the technical specifics of it, whether that uh, insistence is just really a poison pill and sort of setting up the other side to pull the plug on, uh, on the extension rather than taking, taking that decision yourself. I, I, I sure hope that that's not the case. but. You know, if, if the two sides agree, at least uh, sort of symbolically, on the warhead freeze, just so they can extend the new start and seriously engage on substance for, for the next uh, arms control treaty, I think that would be valuable. We have a question from Regina Hagen of um, ICANN, the campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. So, um, Regina, the floor is yours. Yeah, my name is Regina Hagen. I am not from ICANN, but from a German campaign uh, to mainly get Germany rid of, uh, in Germany, rid of nuclear weapons, but also internationally. My question, but actually has to do with the topic of ICANN, although I'm not a member. We've been hearing that tomorrow a meeting will be hosted at the United Nations where at least one or two countries will sign the new uh, treaty to pro prohibit nuclear weapons, and maybe even three. If it so happens that it is three, then the 50 that are needed for entry into force are achieved, and that would mean that this uh, treaty to ban nuclear weapons would enter into force in February. Um, do... Uh, the speakers uh, here at this conference believe that this has any influence on the decisions by Russia and the U.S. on, on the negotiations to extend the New START Treaty? Thank you. Excellent question. Thank you so much for that. Um, again, in the same order, Alex? Uh, sure. Uh, I would say if... Washington and Moscow are thinking at all about it. Their larger international obligations and the optics surrounding those obligations, they're thinking more in context of the uh, Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, uh, which has been you know, already discussed. And, and nuclear weapon states, including the U.S. And, and Russia, have an obligation under that treaty to pursue disarmament measures in good faith. I would say that uh, it is definitively a, a good faith gesture to extend New START and, and has been said if, if the U.S. and Russia show up at the uh, review conference without this treaty extended, I, I think, you know, it can't be taken as anything other than uh, a, a sort of backing off of their commitments uh, to pursue disarmament measures. So I, I would say that that's probably the bigger factor, uh, you know, as far as how nuclear weapon states respond 
to the TPNW. Um, what I'd like to think here, again, uh, given their Article 6 obligations uh, under the MPT, uh, that uh, we have a, a disagreement on process, how exactly we move uh, towards the peace and security of a world without nuclear weapons, but uh, but not hopefully not a disagreement on the on the end goal. Uh, so uh, I would hope that nuclear weapon states would um, work with TPNW supporters uh, to pursue options, you know, towards that common goal, even if we don't agree on on sort of the methodology of the TPNW. Very, very precise and uh, strong answer. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Elena, would you like to comment at all? Um, I'll have a very um, short answer. From from uh, what I was, from my um, impression from talking to, to Russian officials, but also to, from foreign officials, including Americans, um, I don't know if uh, Alexander will contradict me on this, but I have the feeling that the future of the NPT and the TPNW is not of uh, primary concern. Uh, when it comes to the negotiations, especially on, on the START extension, I would say that it's not on the top five reasons for extending or not extending it, and not maybe even in the top ten. So that's more kind of something for arms control, wongs, and non-proliferation fans, um, and diplomats who are really, really into it. And experts, of course, and those who um, who call for a nuclear-free world, but it's not um, in the top priority for the decision makers at, at this point. Thank you, thank you, Elena. I, I, um, I, just a heel. I, I would agree with Elena there that you know I was just saying in the context of if any treaty is coming into the factor, it's the MPT and not the TPNW. But yes, I think uh, the actual you know negotiations to extend New Start is is, is pretty insular and bilateral at this point, other than the U.S., uh, I think, noting that our allies overwhelmingly support the extension. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Alex. Um, I'm now going to turn to Ambassador Van Diel. Um Yeah, thanks. Uh, very much along the same lines, uh, that the extension of New START and arms control, bilateral arms control agreements um, are made for reasons of national security by uh, Russia and, and the U.S. Um, I, I would submit that the NPT is also a treaty that is relevant to their national security, um, maybe not directly linked as, as was supposed in the, in, in the question, um, but for non-proliferation, it's of, it's of extreme importance um, to those two states, and they've made that very clear. So I would disagree with Elena here that this is something that's more for, for Democrats and um, diplomats and, and arms control wonks. And the MPT is very much valued uh, by the nuclear weapon states as well, uh, but probably unrelated to their decisions of national security, whether to extend new START or um, engage in other arms control uh, uh, negotiations. Excellent. Oh, sorry, that, that's exactly what I meant. I just meant that it doesn't matter as much in the, in the current negotiations bilaterally. That's all, that's all I meant. Yep. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Elena. Uh, Gokar? Um, yeah, I would agree that the uh, additional ratifications or even entry into force of the, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons is not going to affect uh, U.S. and Russia deci Russian decisions on extending new START. Um, I also don't think necessarily that they would extend new stars for the sake of, uh, of the NPT review conference. Uh, but sort of to reverse that, uh, if 
new start expires and there and there are no other um, there's no follow-on arms control dialogue, no negotiations, and at the same time, the uh, TPNW enters into force. Uh, the arguments from uh, nuclear weapon states in the U.S. in particular that the TPNW is the distraction and, 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 and undermining the NPT, that, that would really have absolutely no legs to stand. They don't, they don't right now, but, but in the context of, of no uh, uh, arms control, that would, that would be laughable. Thank you. Um, we've yeah, I've just received word that the NPT review conference may be delayed even until uh, the 2nd of August to the 3rd of September. Um, but, you know, the dates are, are near certain, but still being decided. Um, so I would like to now turn to Laura Rosen of Just Security. Uh, Laura, the floor is yours. Thank you so much for this amazing panel. Um, um, I wanted to follow on to Dave Lawler's question um, and maybe direct it to Elena about um, a U.S. government perception of a possible disconnect between the Kremlin and the Russian negotiating team. To ask, is there a Russian perception that there is perhaps a gap between Trump and his negotiating team? And is the Russian offer on a one-year warhead freeze, um, which you reported originated in the Kremlin, perhaps an effort by the Kremlin to get Trump's attention that this is a win he could take? Um, is it fair to perceive a sense of frustration on the Russian side that the U.S. side is perhaps not sufficiently organized or, or functional? Thank you, Laura. Sure, Elena? Yeah, I can do that. Um, um, I will uh, start with the second part of your question, Laura, that, uh, about frustration uh, from the Russian side. Yes, absolutely. Uh, first of all, we have seen that during the Trump administration, uh, concrete proposals and talks uh, began only in the very, very last part of it, actually last spring, which is like a few months before uh, before um, a possible uh, end of the new start, before a possible new administration. So uh, the question comes, like, what did they did the years before? And um, yes, there is uh, this view that there is not, not maybe a disconnect, this wouldn't be the right word, but kind of a, um, a lack of negotiating partners from the U.S. side, at least before uh, May this year, before Marshall Billingsley was appointed as a special envoy, because before that uh, we have seen that um, I think um, Rab uh, Sergey Rabkov had like three or four different um, contact partners from the U.S. that changed every, every few months, which wasn't very helpful for the continuity of the of the talks on strategic stability. And uh, the, but the main reason is, yes, that the um, substantive talks on New START and on a possible follow-up treaty and the preconditions that the U.S. has and the positions that Russia has began very late, uh, just uh, a few months uh, before before the end of the treaty. Um, but other than that, um, no, I have not heard here any pointed uh, discussions about uh, differences of approaches between the White House and the State Department. This was not the main problem. The problem was uh, that the talks started too late and that there were was no uh, clear uh, negotiating partners uh, for Russia for quite a long time. Thank you, Elena. Uh, Alex, do you have a similar reading from Washington? <laughs> I uh, I remember actually being with you in, in London for the P5 uh, conference, uh, of which there was a public component uh, where the you know five states recognized under the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty were, were meeting to dis discussing disarmament. I actually asked. Uh, the U.S. officials present at that meeting, 
And uh, so this was in February before you know the lockdown went into effect. And I, you know, asked, at, at what point are we going to start running out of time? You know, we're a year away uh, from the possible collapse of New Start. You know, at what point are you going to start moving on this? And I was assured um, in quite concrete terms that there was plenty of time. There was plenty of time. Uh, but that's the thing. You never know uh, what kind of things are going to happen in addition to just arms control negotiations being a, a slow and sometimes tedious process. Uh, there has been a global pandemic. You never know uh, what kind of things are going to derail uh, forward progress, which is exactly why you don't drag feet and, and try to, you know, sort of, as I mentioned, run out the clock in some sort of, you know, attempt to get a better deal because, you know, we're running out of time. Uh, so that's been really my my disappointment in this whole uh, process. There's there's nothing wrong uh, with the Trump administration wanting to go bigger, having ambitious goals, uh, but you actually have to put the work behind that, uh, and you have to have a consistent approach. You have to have you know leadership from the top that's empowering diplomats, and and we just really haven't seen that. Thank you, Alex. Um, Ambassador Van Dielen, would you like to comment at all on this question? Uh, no, thanks. I don't think it was directed at me. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Um, Gokar, any any readings from Vienna on on the U.S. Russia dynamic that you want to add? Well, just just to uh, to add to the point that uh, I think frustration with the lack of organization and, and the U.S. administration on these issues is not limited to to Russia. I think that's uh, that's true for many for many partners and, and countries, and it's. It doesn't seem to be so much the disconnect between uh, Trump, President Trump himself and his negotiators, but just in general, the U.S. administration living in some kind of fantasy land when it comes to uh, approaching negotiations, where they, they put out very ambitious goals and promises, and uh, and then and then nothing much happens, and, and this uh, sort of semi-surprise or at least the blaming of the other side that. Uh, that did not deliver, and it's not only about the U.S.-Russian negotiations. There's some very ambitious things being uh, were said about um, Iran and dealing with Iran and demands put forward. Um, and and again, there's not, none of that is achievable in any realistic terms. Um, so it's it's unfortunately kind of been the the modus operandi of the current administration. Great, thank you. Thank you. Um, for our last two questions, I'm going to turn to. Um, one of our senior network members, um, who I tried to call in earlier, Ambassador Carlo Trezza, and then also um, Tinnaton, who is one of the researchers on New START, um, part of the ELN. So uh, an important aspect of the ELN's work on New START is that it is truly intergenerational, and we have many layers of our networks working together to raise the European voice on this. So I'm very pleased to pass the floor to Ambassador Trezza and then to Tinnaton. So Ambassador Trezza, the floor is yours. Thank you, thank you, Zail, for giving me the floor. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Uh, my question would go especially to Alexandria. Alexandra, uh, what would, in her view, be the timing of this operation? Because uh, uh, President Trump needs a success before the uh, elections. After the elections, I guess that uh, the question would be indifferent for him. But uh, w it, will there be a time to finalize such a complicated issue? I mean, you mentioned, Alexandra, that uh, uh, that the devil is in the detail, and uh, it is perfectly right. Uh, 
because it's not only a question of uh, warhead definition. Uh, what kind of uh, uh, warhead are we talking about? Strategic, intermediate, tactical? Uh, so this is one question. The other one is a freeze of what? Possession, production, or deployment? So how can all this be, <laughs> be clarified in such a short time? Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Trezza. And very quickly, Tinatin, um, before we turn back to our speakers. Thank you very much, Sahil. Um, thank you for moderating this event and um, for inviting me. It's been absolutely fascinating hearing everyone. I have a very specific question to Elena. Um, first of all, through a journalistic prism. Elena, um, I was just wondering, as, as a correspondent, as someone who writes extensively about Russia's relations with the West in the security domain, among other fields, how do you see Russia positioning itself in the current um, climate of mistrust vis-a-vis -vis Western partners as well as the Western partners' mistrust towards Russia uh, with all of the, the sanctions that are, that are currently um, sort of um, going on and, um, and certainly um, increasing tensions in Russia's relations with the West broadly, not just the United States but also Europe? How do you see Russia positioning itself to continue this dialogue with the United States, but also with Europe in ensuring that we do get this extension and that Russia is seen as a trusted partner. Thank you so much. Thank you for both the questions. Before I turn to Alex and Elena, as well as Gokar, to add to the responses, um, I'm just going to give the floor to Ambassador Van Dielen, um, who has to leave promptly at the end of the hour. Um, just if, uh, Ambassador, if you have any closing comments or reflections, I just wanted to give you the chance to be able to uh, say them before we turn to the question. Thanks very much, Sahil. And, and that's very kind indeed. I have to leave uh, for sharp. Um, I, I found this a really interesting discussion uh, that, that we just have uh, had. It's very good to shed more light on the U.S. and Russians' positions for as far as we can piece them together uh, through what we know from, from the media. Um, we hope for them to be successful in their endeavors. Um, the time is short, um, but responding to the first part of Ambassador Stretzer's uh, comments about the about the elections, um, even after elections, this uh, this topic is so important um, that it's 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 crucial that the agreement is reached, no matter what the date is, and the earlier the better, of course. Um, but the fact that elections take place that does not uh, take away from the responsibility to negotiate in good faith between uh, the U.S. and Russia. Um, I'll leave it at that. I want to thank you again very much for inviting me and, uh, and have a good you. consideration to your discussion. Thank you so much, Ambassador. Um, I'm now going to turn to uh, Alex and then Elena and then Gokar. So, Alex, uh, the floor is yours. Thank you, and, and thank you, Ambassador, for the questions. Uh, is it possible uh, to make a, a deal on, you know, the actual parameters of a, a, a warhead freeze in the next 12 days? Uh, no, uh, there's just it's it's not possible. Uh, could there be a handshake uh, between or a virtual handshake between uh, Putin and Trump uh, on the outlines of a deal uh, for optics purposes? 
uh, before the election, uh, sure. Uh, but again, if President Trump wants a, a real concrete win, he could just extend the treaty, hopefully for a full five years, um, if he was really that interested in, in, in sort of a substantive win. Uh, but we'll see. It, it seems as if uh, Ambassador Billingsley implies that he will, no matter what the election are, will keep negotiating, you know, sort of through the tape. Um, my concern there, and, and he does, uh, you know, publicly admit that there is no agreement yet. Uh, so to be clear there, uh, you know, we're still in the in the process of negotiating. But uh, my, my concern is he said uh, in an interview on NewsHour earlier in the week that uh, a freeze is the new quote unquote floor for future arms control uh, discussions, sort of implying that a, a potential Biden administration uh, would be bound uh, to try to pursue a freeze as well, as opposed to just a clean extension of New START. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't buy that. I, I don't think an administration that, that has yet to produce a single agreement to reduce nuclear threats gets to dictate the terms of a possible new administration's approach uh, to reducing nuclear threats. Uh, on the issue of uh, what, what exactly is being frozen, um, that's what folks have been trying to figure out for the last couple of days, is this, uh, if it includes all warheads, um, how does that, you know, account for, you know, four deployed weapons in Europe, uh, warheads in storage? Uh, what does this mean about the further deployment of the W76-2 uh, on the U.S. side, the, the Trump administration's supposed plans for a nuclear slickum? Uh, what does this mean for the W93 warhead that uh, some officials have admitted would be a, a quote-unquote new warhead? So how does that move forward? How does that affect timelines for nuclear modernization in the U.S.? How does that affect British modernization uh, of its forces that seems to be tied to the W93? So there are a lot of questions outstanding, um, and, uh, which is probably one of the reasons that you try not to do negotiations like this in public, over Twitter, via press conferences. Uh, it would be good if the U.S. and Russia, uh, no matter who's in office, you know, just gets down to brass tacks and starts doing the hard work. Uh, of trying to figure out next steps, uh, and again, hopefully, with the extension of, of New Start for a full five years, that gives us a little bit, a little bit more breathing room. Thank you, Alex. Elena. Um, yes, thank you very much for these questions. Um, um, if um, I may, I will also tackle a, a bit of the question of uh, the timing and the possible um, agreement on freeze. Um, yes, absolutely. If you have just a political handshake and a political um, obligation with nothing behind it, maybe. But any any more than that, this is not possible in the in the two weeks because even un under a political obligation, uh, I mean, if you are talking about a strategic and so-called non-strategic tactical weapons, well, Russia hasn't declared its arsenal of the latter uh, for like what. 30 years or so, uh, so um, for decades, and um, this would take a lot. This would be a, have to be a major concession, another concession from Russia to be actually that open uh, without any without anything getting back from the U.S. Um, that would be a major shift in policy, and that does not take place in two weeks. So, to, to even have a political um, agreement there, you have to declare what you have, because other than that, how do you know what you are freezing? Uh, and the other details are, of course, much more uh, difficult if we are talking about um, the kinds of uh, verification 
measures that the U.S. is now insisting on. For example, if we talk about this uh, so-called portal monitoring, so uh, inserting inspectors in the places where um, actually warheads are produced, that is also not something you can um, uh, do in two weeks. That would take months, if not years, to negotiate such measures. So I don't see how that is possible in such a current time. Even to pro just extend uh, the START Treaty in the coming months, uh, the time is running out every day. There is a great piece um, that I would refer you to, um, uh, published by Anton Chlopkov and Anastasia Shavrova in June this year, and the English version was published in Russia and Global Affairs, where they very, uh, very in detail, they, they say with what bureaucratical details um, and difficulties a start extension is tied to. Um, everything is possible, so um, even if a Biden administration comes in and even if it cannot do any negotiations with Russia uh, until inauguration in the last two weeks, uh, the treaty can still be extended. There will be then a temporary provision for it to continue. But this is all not very easy. Still, there has to be there has work to be done. So the time is running out, and I would very much hope that the sides are using it wisely. Um, as for the question of how Russia can preserve itself as a trusted partner in this atmosphere of distrust and sanctions and confrontation and all that, well, I tend to to see and believe that um, on issues of strategic stability, Russia. Uh, is the adult in the room, is behaving responsibly and uh, the way that um, it can be called a trusted partner because it has from the beginning said, let's just extend the treaty for five years without preconditions and then sit down and discuss the other issues. Russia has been um, clear from the end of last year that um, at least two of its new weapons are to be included in the treaty that is ready to fully um, implement the obligations in, of that treaty uh, to them and is ready to discuss the other new weapons, is ready to discuss any kinds of concerns that its partners have, of course, the U.S. mostly. So I would say that Russia doesn't have to do much more to show that it is a trusted partner in this specific sphere. Thank you, Elena. And um, just so that uh, all are aware, uh, on the transcript that's produced from this meeting, I'll be sure to include links to some of the documents mentioned, including the ELN parliamentary letter, but also the report written by Anton Klopkov and Anastasia Shavrova um, on the uh, implications and the procedural nature of what uh, the extension would have to look like on the Russian side. Uh, last but certainly not least, I'm going to turn the floor over to Gokar to close us out and to give the final reflections on uh, everything that's been mentioned uh, from Vienna. So Gokar, the floor is yours. Thank you very much and thank you for the questions. Uh, Ambassador Tretz's question uh, indeed highlights the difficulty of arriving at any kind of binding agreement on a warhead freeze. Uh, the definitional issues alone will not be solved, not in the next two, two weeks, uh, nor indeed by February 2021. Um, and, and on the subject of timing, I think the new START extension, one way or another, won't have any significant impact on uh, President Trump's uh, chances of uh, winning the re-election. Uh, but conversely, in, the, in case of loss, in case of his loss, there's a risk that the U.S. might uh, lose interest in securing the extension until until the next administration, when when it just might be too late uh, for a number of issues that Helena also mentioned. So so it really does underscore the urgency of, of the subject matter and the need for the the, the two sides to behave like adults um, and have a focused uh, dialogue away from cameras and social media uh, to to arrive at an agreement. Thank you. 
Thank you. I'd like to again thank Alex, Elena, Ambassador Van Dielen, and Gokar for all of their contributions today to the call, as well as the excellent questions. I think the primary conclusion is that you know holding New Start extension hostage to a freeze and you know limiting both to one year is unwise, not only for uh, Euro-Atlantic security but also global security. So um, we hope that um, there will be some kind of a meaningful agreement uh, moving forward. And again, thank you all for participating. Uh, the transcript and recording will be made available um, by close of business today, London time. Um, stay well and stay safe, and um, we will see you next time. Thank you so much.